Preface to Myths and Legends of the Mississippi Valley and the Great Lakes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Myths and Legends of the Mississippi Valley and the Great Lakes by Catherine Barry Judson. Preface mystery magic and manitos abound in the land of hiawatha in the land of the ojibwas among the green islands graceful and beautiful lying amidst the dancing blue waters when the sun shines over the gitche the great water manitos great and mighty lived in the cool depths of the mighty forests in the rivers and lakes and even in the snows of winter and adventures there were in those early days amongst these islands of the north when manitos directed the affairs of men gitche is lake superior but the animal fathers lived upon the earth before there came the two-legged walkers there were many animals there were many beavers it was the beavers who made gitche the great water they made it by building two dams the first they built at the grand salt and the second was five leagues below when great hare came up the river he said this must not be so therefore he stepped upon the first dam but he was in haste he did not break it down therefore there are now great falls and whirlpools at that place but at the second dam great hare stepped upon it mightily therefore there are now few falls and only a little swirling water at that place great hare was very mighty when he chased beaver he stepped across a bay eight leagues wide around the michelee mackinac was the land of the great hare there amongst the green islets under the cool shade of wide-spreading trees where fish leaped above the rippling waters he made the first fish net he made it after watching spider weave a web for catching flies it was winnie bojo who in ojibwe land discovered the wild rice and taught the indians how to use it he first pointed out the low grassy islands in the lakes waving their bright green leaves and spikes of yellowish green blossoms he showed them how to cut paths through the wild rice beds before the grain was ripe and later to beat it into their canoes he told them always to gather the wild rice before a storm else the wind would blow it all into the water therefore the indians use wild rice in all their feasts they even taught the white man to use it winnebojo is only a variation of the name also given as manabush both are identical with hiawatha when the snows of winter lay deep upon the forests of the north when ice-covered lakes and rivers then the story-tellers of the ojibwas as of all other indian tribes told the tales of the olden times when manitos lived upon the earth and when the animal fathers roamed through the forest but such stories are not told in summer all the woods and shores all the bays and islands are in summer the home of keen hearing spirits who like not to have indians talking about them but when the deep snows come then the spirits are more drowsy then the indians when northwest rattles the flaps of the wigwams and wild animals hide in the shelter of the deep forest tell their tales all winter they tell them while the fires burn in the wigwams tell them until the frogs croak in the spring 
Tales they tell of how Gichi Manito, the Great One, taught the Indians how to plant the Indian corn, how to strip and bury Mondaman, and how to gather the corn in the month of falling leaves, that there may be food in the camps when the snows of winter come. Tales they tell of Gichi Manido, the Evil One, who brings only distress and sickness, tales of the land of Hiawatha. Mystery and magic lay all about them. It is a far cry from the stories of the north along the banks of the Mississippi, from that land of long winters through the country of the mound builders to the sunnier southland. Yet from north to south, around the glimmering Indian fires, grouped eager men and women and children listening to the storytellers. But quite different are the tales of the southland, of the Cherokees, Biloxis, and Chittimachas. They are stories of wild turkeys, of persimmons and raccoons, and of the spirits which dwell in the mountain places where none dare go. Stories also are they of Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Wolf, which came from Indian slaves working in the fields in early days, through the Negro slaves working beside them, to the children of the white men. It is a loss to American literature that so much of the legendary history of these Indian tribes has gone beyond hope of recovery. Exquisite in color, poetical in feeling, these legends of sun, moon, and stars, of snow, ice, lightning, thunders, the winds, the life of the forest birds and animals about them, and the longing to understand the why and the how of life, all which we have only in fragments. Longfellow's work shows the wonderful beauty of these northern legends, nor has he done violence to any of them in making them poetical. His picture of the departure of Hiawatha, the lone figure standing stately and solemn as the canoe drifted out towards the glowing sunset, while from the shore, in the shadow of the forest, came the low Indian chant, mingling with the sighings of the pine trees, is truly Indian for the mystical and poetical is strong in the indian nature as in all the other volumes of this series no effort has been made to ornament or amplify these legends in the effort to make them literary or give them literary charm they must speak for themselves what editing has been done has been in simplifying them and freeing them from the verbose settings in which many were found for in this section of the country settled before it was realized that there was an indian literature the original work of noting down the myths was very imperfectly done Thanks are due to the work of Albert E. Jenks on the wild rice Indians of the Upper Lakes, to James Mooney for the myths of the Cherokees, to George Catlin for some of the Upper Mississippi legends, to the well-known but almost inaccessible work of schoolcraft, and to others. K. B. J. End of Preface